This episode is brought to you by TickPick, where smart fans buy and sell tickets. Check out TickPick for the best ticket prices for your next game, concert, or event, and use promo code PODCAST to save 10 bucks off any order over $49. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com. Promo code PODCAST. Oscar Robertson, Leos Indoor, what a year that has been. The Bucks are the world champion. Montcrete going inside. Hello and welcome to episode 153 of the Winning Six podcast, the first episode of our new books show on the Nothing But Net radio channel on Dash Radio. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my co-host, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, before we get into the bones of this week's show, before we get into what was an incredibly eventful and exciting week for the Milwaukee Bucks. We might as well explain some changes going on with our podcast, some different places you could find us, some different days when you'll be able to listen to us. Starting from this episode, and I guess coming in with the season coming back, you are going to hear more of Jordan and I and the Win and Six podcast. We are going to have episodes posting every Monday, as we have had for the last while. Also. We're going to have an additional episode that is scheduled for every Friday. Our Monday episode, this one that you're listening to here, will be focused almost exclusively on books analysis, discussion, general nonsense, the kind of nonsense that Jordan and I are well known for from all you long-term listeners at this point. While on our Friday episode, we're going to take all your questions via our Twitter mailbag. The mailbag survives. We're just moving it to a different day. And that is also going to be the episode where every week we're going to focus in with a dedicated section on the Wisconsin Herd. We're going to be talking G League basketball. G League season is not too far away now. And throughout the whole year, Jordan and I will be here to help you stay on top of all of the G League news that surrounds the Herd and therefore is related to the books. As I mentioned to begin with, also very important, this is our first show on Nothing But Net Radio on Dash. We're delighted to be a part of it. If you're listening to this, I don't need to tell you, but every Monday, 7 to 8 p.m. Central, you'll be able to hear our Monday episode of the podcast playing on Dash Radio. For those of you tuning in through Dash, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy what you're going to hear and you can stick with us. We'll be here at that slot every week. While there will also be that additional podcast you can download every single Friday. For now, that's enough of all of that. That's all the housekeeping taken care of. Enough about us, Jordan. Let's move it on to the stuff that really matters. Giannis up to and a piece of his jersey, no whistle. Take away! Giannis for Brandon! Giannis and Antibo has 44, and the 
column here under duress by Giannis. Watch the long arm of the law poke it away to Brogdon and making no mistake about this, taking no chances. The NBA season is back. We went through a long offseason. We dealt with, I would say, the pains of preseason. It's one of your favorite times of the year. Summer league, even more painful, and a time of year you enjoy even more. But we have finally reached the point where we have real books basketball. And more than having books basketball, I think the best way of putting it is this week we got Yanis basketball. Mm -hmm. We're not exactly surprised by too much Yanis does at this point. Were you expecting this start from him, though? Uh, let me just, uh, before I answer this question, let me just uh, go through the quick stats that he has after three games. 38.3 points per game. 9.7 rebounds per game. Five assists per game. 2.7 steals per game. Uh, and he's also, you know, shooting 22 times per game on a 67.2% uh, shooting from the field. Going to the line 10.7 times. I mean, again, he's, already, as you said, he's already a player that it's hard to be surprised by what he's doing. Yet, as we're, as we're about to go into, it's still, it's shocking. I mean, last, at least specifically, the Blazers game was just jaw-dropping. We, I, I, we all, no matter if you're a Bucks fan, a writer, or a blogger, in our case, or everybody brings something to the table in their own Bucks fandom. And our collective jaws were dropped for that entire last minute of the game. That's the, that's the other thing that's crazy in all this. This it's the last minute of the game that these he's stripping the ball from both Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. He's blocking use of Nurkic at the rim to you know save the game and protect the lead. He's doing all of these things in the last minute. I can't think of another. You think of all these like you know last minute shots, game winning buzzer beaters, all that stuff. A full minute to save the game, will the victory or will the team to victory? That's I I I can't think of another parallel of that ever it's really all of the things as well right it's not it's not that he just got the game winning basket or he's, you have players who can score six points in the last minute of the game and that's what pushes their team over the edge but it's yeah. rare to see the kind of two steals <laughs> scoring and saving the scoring he even had like he, he fit so much into that minute that he had time to miss those two free throws which really pushed them up another gear yeah. it was quite incredible i i think we've kind of touched on this in the past but it's interesting from the perspective of people who, I mean, covered the team, essentially. We have to talk about the books and write about the books so often. It, it reached a point probably about a year ago now where I found Yanis kind of, kind of difficult to bring something to the table on because, and this week was a great example of this, everyone has something to say on Yanis. It's hard to kind of find that something new and rewrite that kind of really distinctive thing on Yanis when Kevin Arnovitz is doing an incredible profile. Uh, he's a Time Magazine Next Generation leader, and he does a great interview with them. Paul, Paul Flannery of SB Nation has a great profile. And it's just uh, Steve Ashburner of NBA.com had one. It just goes on and on. And you know that we're probably going to have even more next week and more the week after that, particularly with the way he's playing. There's going to be no end in sight for that. And I think the discovery that I came to or the realization that I came to after that Portland game and I shared this on Twitter, was that 
probably from the from the perspective of watching him closely, it's all very different. You know, it's it's kind of like that thing of you know if if there's someone you haven't seen for a long time and they lose a lot of weight and you really notice it, where someone who's around them all the time may not see it in quite the same way because they're just used to it. We're in that spot where we're used to this happening. So not every single thing is a big event. And with that in mind, the thing that probably kind of sticks with me more than anything, and what really maybe makes him most special, is the way that it's the people like us that he can still find ways to just go beyond and flip the script and do these things that you just can't imagine. And not only do them, but do them so quickly. Do them in quick succession. Like, he averaged 35.5 points per game through the first two games against last year's Eastern Conference finalists. The consensus mm-hmm. top two teams in the East this year. Maybe that's changed a little with Gordon Hayward's injury. But, I mean, they're probably still both going to be pretty close to that. And that's how most people have had it. You kind of go, oh, wow, a start like that from a guy who averaged 22.9 per game last year. Where can he go from here? And then he goes out on the second night of a back-to-back and scores 44, gets eight rebounds. And you mentioned that it's the last minute where it all happens. That's incredible in terms of being able to make so much happen in that final minute. It's also incredible. It was the second game of a back-to-back, and he Mm -hmm. is carrying the team. He's scoring so many points, grabbing so many rebounds, taking the brunt of the book's minutes, and he still has the energy. He still has the focus. He still has the determination to go and literally drag his team over the line in the final seconds of the game. It's truly remarkable. Like, we're not going to have anything new to say on Giannis in terms of we've for a long time talked about him. He could be, could be one of the best players ever to play for the books. He could be an all-time great. I think all we can say is after three games, and it's only three games, but those three games have taught us a lot, the realization is, though, maybe those things are closer than we imagined. Like, there's, there's been a lot of the MVP talk throughout the summer and people being like, you know, he's an MVP type player. If the books do this, maybe Giannis could be in the MVP race. I thought that. I believe that. I didn't for a second think that maybe he would be the leading contender this year. And now, true three games, and look, hurdles will come, he'll have struggles, and I'll probably... I'll probably have to rethink it then. But at this current point in time, it's hard to see when he starts averaging less than 30 points per game. You know, who, if he, if he's getting the points that he's got, if he's averaging 38.3 after games against the Celtics, Cavaliers, and Portland Trailblazers, what happens when he plays the Suns, the Nets, the Bulls? I mean, there's a very kind of, there's an obvious way of looking at this point is that the books haven't had a soft schedule. We've spoken in great lengths about this. And yet Giannis is putting in the kind of work that, I mean, almost defies belief. So where is the drop-off going to come from? Whether he gets help or not, that's what's going to ultimately determine the book's record. But in terms of his individual play, I mean, he's showing absolutely everything. You could possibly expect of him at at the peak of his powers. Really, like this is, if you were to say what might peak Giannis look like, uh, probably what we saw last night, except he doesn't turn 23 until December. So Kevin Durant, oh, like a week ago, saying he might be the best player ever to play the game. That doesn't even seem completely ridiculous. He has so far to go to get to that point, but you can't just dismiss that out of hand and be like, Kevin Durant's gotten carried away here. I mean, there's no way. Come on, this is a guy who's made one all-star game. That is the kind of level that Giannis can bring his game to. 
And a lot of the deficiencies, I think, that we would have said he had in the past, they're just not there. And if they are there, they just don't matter because he's got so much better at the things he was good at to begin with. Is that the most striking element of Yanis' first three games that, say, for example, as opposed to the playoffs when the Raptors collapsed and sometimes it was tough for him to score, if teams collapse and back off now, it doesn't matter. He's just powering through them to the rim and scoring all the same. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We talk about the... I'll try to keep this as composed and rational because it is. there is some basis of it. But the whole unguardable, if he develops a jump, jumper, he'll become unguardable. And I'm just looking at these three games, like, if you really, really believe that, like, I don't know what to tell you. It's it's insane. Like, he's just, there's obviously the, you know, he's a terror in transition. Uh, and that's how he feasts most of his points, you know, night in, night out. But just in half-court situations, I mean, look at Evan Turner. Evan Turner's doing his best. Evan Turner, I mean, he's, he's kind of an average player. He can't really shoot, obviously. But he's, for a guy, he has good size and is you know pretty mobile as a three and he's just dying out there he's hitting him he's forcing Giannis to go to the line too he's hang- the other thing too that's just incredible is you see he did it a lot in the Boston game the way he he'll just kind of it doesn't matter if it's in the open floor or in half court situations but the way he like drives to the rim and he's hanging in in the air and he's following that way and it it you know it's another and one and he still goes to the line like it's just the variety of which he's scoring his points in different ways is just insane in that regard but it's just I, I feel like we've he's always obviously there is there was the whole cult aspect to it during his first couple seasons and just how you just wanted to see him he was just this mystery and now he's not this mystery anymore and his performances I mean they're almost superseding the team's performance themselves like we're talking about the Boston game and there was obviously it was a close game and he was you know the best performer performer for the Bucks obviously as he was you know is for <laughs> for the majority of the time but it's like a night like last night it the win almost becomes secondary it's obviously good to have the win because if they lost the way that they looked to have lost I mean that would have been brutal that would have been you know pretty uh uh, letting the air out of the bag, but it's almost like we're talking about his performance more than the win itself. Like obviously it goes hand in hand, but it's just, it's just insane how that quickly that has become to me and in, in my perspective. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think part of that is effectively that you can't kind of untangle his performance from the win because one certainly doesn't happen without the other. I mean, the Blazers played really well last night. I, I honestly, I think the Blazers were comfortably the better team. Overall, I think they they looked like they had more energy. They were just kind of more organized, uh, looked kind of well-drilled in comparison to the books. And the books generally looked very sluggish. They they looked slow. And, I mean, that was a problem that they had, particularly second half against the Cavs, when the Cavs kind of started to open things up and Kyle Korver had his run of trees. I mean, the books they didn't throw in the tell, but they didn't look like they had the energy to pull back into it anyway. And a night later, there was kind of the same effects. And then Yanis just exploded. And it's worth noting, he didn't even start all that fast. And he was brought to the bench a little bit earlier as well. Obviously, with the night before and kind of the toll of battling with LeBron, probably in Jason Kidd's mind, the rotation mixed up a little bit. But in the end, he just still is able to force his way through and get those points. And down the stretch, it's like it's like there's no other player on the floor for the books. Like, it really... 
we used to complain when shots went to other guys late in the game, even if they were good shots. There'd be the thing where people say, well, you've just got to use Yanis. You've got to get him used to those situations so that when the time comes. Well, now the time has come, and he just doesn't need those other guys. And I don't know if even you could create a distraction. Like, I think he's he's smart enough that if there was no real opportunity there for him to make the play, he'll pass it out. You know, if he can't score, it's late in the game, someone needs to make a shot, and there's an open guy, he will find them. He talked about that. He did that with Delhi against the Celtics. At the same time, though, how often he's going to have to do that is really up for debate because teams know where it's going, and they still don't have an answer. And I don't know how many guys in the league are able to provide the answer. I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed that the Celtic or that the Cavs game went the way it did, not just because of the result, but because I would have loved to see, like we saw against the Celtics, like we saw against the Trailblazers, kind of the last two to three minutes of the game with Yanis in that kind of mode and LeBron and a group of really proven teammates trying to stop him. Even guys who may be past their best, guys like Dwayne Wade, who has been there, done that so many times, guys who know how to win games and Giannis go up against them. And I'm sure we'll probably get a chance to see that kind of thing later in the season again. But so far, it's been pretty mind-blowing. Let's, let's get into some of the, the more specific details and the reactions of it, first of all. He's been great all week, as we mentioned. You read out a stat <laughs> line. You can't say there has been an off night because there hasn't been anything close. The Blazers game, though, was a new career high for him in terms of scoring 44 points. I mean, he missed those two free throws in the final minute. As I mentioned, he started slow. Your bold prediction for the start of the season, and I'll admit, I wasn't I wasn't particularly going there. I wouldn't say it's impossible. I wasn't going there. Your prediction was that he'd score 50 or more this season. That now seems like the safest prediction ever. <laughs> seems inevitable. He might score 60 this week, and we'd be like, 50? What was 50? It's crazy how that's turned. But that Blazers game, he took over, and he created moments that, regardless of how incredible this season could be and how many moments he delivers, which, let's face it, could be quite a lot, there's certain plays and certain bits we're going to remember from that Portland game for quite a while. We mentioned on Twitter, it was the Airhorn game. Oh, yeah. That won't be forgotten. I mean, I feel... (laughs) I can still hear it in my head. (laughs) It's jumped the pickle game in the stakes, seen as actual good things happened this game as well as the kind of strange... Pause game. Right. I mentioned Zaza's offensive rebounding record against Brooklyn. All these things have been jumped by the Airhorn game, also known as Yana's career high in scoring, at least for, I mean, two days. By the time you're listening to this podcast, maybe he's already surpassed it. The other great moment, though, and we had a lot of these last year from different people, more often than not Gus Johnson, but... We got one of the best books calls we got for quite a while. It came from the recent Emmy nominee, Marcus Johnson. And Marcus Johnson captured not only the complete madness that you could hear in the arena, the complete insanity of what Yanis was doing in the final couple of minutes, but also just kind of the sheer feeling of what's around Yanis right now and how not just books fans, not just people who watch the books regularly, but everyone around the NBA has started to react to Yanis. Let's take a quick listen to Marcus Johnson and Jim Pashi's call on what was effectively the last meaningful play of the game, Yanis block on Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, I, I know we're going to double-team uh, Damien, right? So I know he got to get the ball off. 
and everybody's denying. Uh, my guy's the first guy away, so the ball won't go to Nurkic. Nurkic did not see me that I was coming. Uh, he went up, and thank God uh, I was able to get a block uh, without fouling. Rocket and Henson. I mean, that's that's one of my favorite books calls in quite a long time. It's up there with Gus Johnson at Madison Square Garden on Yana's buzzer beater. And I think it's even interesting to think of that as a comparison because you look at how far we've come. That was just Yanis. I mean, incredible fadeaway jumper, but making a buzzer beater to beat the Knicks. Now he does literally everything the team possibly could need him to do to win a game while getting 44 points in the process. And dare I say, against a much better team than the Knicks as well. So Giannis has really, he has moved on. Uh, the The other thing I want to check in on, and I guess the key talking point of the first three games and a storyline that is going to continue throughout the season for obvious reasons is, okay, if Giannis is this good, what is the help like? What sort of support is he getting from his teammates? There has been mixed results on that front so far. In the post-game press conference after the game against Portland, Jason Kidd gave Giannis all his due praise, but he was also very careful to kind of share the love around. And it, there was kind of a very thinly veiled kind of look at everyone in the media of, please, let's kind of share the praise for this. And, you know, this is a team effort, and there are guys doing other things to make all of this possible. Let's take a listen to this, because it's interesting just in terms of how the books are going to balance everything, and also kind of keeping that team dynamic within the locker room. As complete a game as you've seen Giannis play? Mm, official game? Yeah. Oh, oh, we've seen him have uh, pretty good practices. Um, you know, I think... Uh, from start to finish, he's he's only getting better and stronger. Um, understanding, um, he probably will, will. We hold him accountable. Or we hold him at a very high standard, and you know we want Giannis at the line, you know down the stretch, and uh, we believe he's going to make those free throws. But I think um, he felt like he might have owed us one for that, and that's what you know he does on the defensive end. Came up with a steal, and then came up with a big block, and so um, you know he's a special player. Um, he's going to do a lot, um, but we can't count on him to do that every night, you know. And, and I thought Chris again got into the flow early. I thought he was better tonight, but I thought John picked us up. You know, Moose might have struggled tonight, but I thought again a team effort. When you talk about John coming in, and I thought Don did a great job, Tony, and then Liggins. I thought he was great for us tonight. I thought his energy and his spirit was uh, big for us on the defensive end. But when you talk about Giannis, um, you know, he can dominate the press conference just like he can dominate the game. And so uh, we try to share as much love with uh, his teammates. Uh, again, 44 points. He did everything we've asked him to do. Um, but I think, again, there were some key plays that those guys made to, to help him get there. In regard to that whole teammate thing, in regard to the help, I don't think this is quite the jump shot, you know, that where we go is really doesn't matter as much as everyone makes it out to be. But are we also seeing to some degree that there will be nights where Yanis will still find a way to overcome not a whole lot of help? 
Oh, yeah. I, I think that's pretty much in the cards at this point. I mean, that that was a lot of what we talked about this offseason. And it's going to be tough. Obviously, you know, we've seen Chris Middleton have slow starts. His shots aren't all the way there. Uh, last time was more encouraging, especially just how more rhythm he got pretty much at the beginning of the, the game. But even Malcolm Brogdon has been great, uh, surprising, I would say, in his first three games. But there is just that kind of tier of player, you know, difference makers, impact playmakers, basically, that the Bucks outside of Giannis, it's not as sure of, you know, footing as one fan would like. And that's just going to be the struggle sometimes. I mean, that's just when you have a, a player as just all-encompassing as Giannis and there isn't really a, one other – I mean, this we were talking about this with Jabari too. Let's just get that out of the way too. Uh, certainly he has star potential or, you know, theoretically at this point still, but it's still a problem no matter where, how, you know, players are available, depth and all that stuff. It's just that how it's going to be sometimes. Before we move on from Giannis, I want to just touch on two of those great articles and interviews and profiles in Giannis for this week. I just kind of flag up some of the interesting details. First of all, the ESPN piece by Kevin Arnovitz, which is entitled Playing the Longer Game. One particularly interesting detail from this came from John Horst, current Books GM, but longtime book staffer, who basically revealed to Arnovitz uh, what was the the starting point of the whole experiment that the books have now become. And it's it's really clear from this that you know just how deep the whole Lent concept runs. They're not just kind of it, it really feels like Lent is almost top priority when they come to assessing talent at this point. That they're not kind of taking other guys and going, hey, they can do all this, and they're long, that's the bonus. It's sort of starting with length, it seems, and breaking out from there. What Horse did reveal was the whole idea kind of came to fruition between him and John Hammond after watching the books lose by 20 points to the Oklahoma City Thunder back in April of 2012. That was a game where, somewhat fittingly, I guess, for them to form their new ideas, Larry Sanders was ejected. But the real impression was left by the length of Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and Tabo Safalosha, who's kind of an interesting inclusion here, but in many ways is somewhat physically similar to what the prototypical books player has become. It, it came from those players that dominating the likes of Brandon Jennings, Monte Ellis, smaller guards. That's how the books became what they are today. The other interesting detail, there are plenty, but the other one I'm going to flag up here from the Arnovitz piece is something that for a long, long time we've had all of this conversation about. Uh, it was a mystery. Then Jared Dudley gave us a little bit on a low post a couple of years back. As time got, has gone on, more and more has trickled out. I am, of course, talking about the infamous Yanis DMP in the 2014-15 season? Yep. Late in the 2014-15 season, Yanis was given a kind of a surprising DMP against the Cavaliers. The next game when he came out against the Knicks, he made a real statement including that dunk over Cole Aldrich that happens to be in our intro. <laughs> the detail that Arnovitz revealed, though, was the reason for that DMP. The reason for what I guess was effectively a suspension was that in a practice before that game, Yanis was repeatedly failing to execute a defensive drill and had allowed his competitiveness to wilt in frustration. As a result, 
kid thought, you know what, now's the time to send a message. So that was kind of a long, long lost books mystery. We now have the answer to. The other thing I want to briefly touch on, and you can go take a closer look at yourself, I'd recommend it. The piece on uh, Time, time.com, Time Magazine by Sean Gregory. They have Yanis as one of their next generation leaders. And one of the main focuses of that piece is really Yanis in Milwaukee and his desire to stay in Milwaukee longer term, his stated desire. This has, of course, been a hot button topic and a, an area that nationally has been up for a lot of discussion in recent months. And Gregory really kind of presses Yanis on it and gets to some interesting answers. Um, to just give a couple of snippets of the quotes, Diana says, Milwaukee is a small market team, but I love it. I'm a really competitive guy. I'm a really stubborn guy. That's what makes me want to take Milwaukee to the top, make Milwaukee a big market team. That's a goal I've set for myself. Hopefully one day I can achieve it. Milwaukee is really quiet. The people here are really respectful. They can see me in the street walking on the road. I can go to any place in Milwaukee without people being all over me. I appreciate that. Then when he's asked about his uh, previous kind of statement that he's going to be in Milwaukee for 20 years, he touches on the kind of, yeah, he wants to follow the footsteps of the likes of Kobe, Tim Duncan, Dirk, these one franchise players. And then when asked about how he kind of, his opinion of the dynamics of a player team situation, particularly a small market team, were affected by Kevin Durant's decision to leave Oklahoma City. Giannis admits that he has thought about it, and I guess the quote that will catch most people's attention is he says, that's his decision. I feel like I can win the championship here. If eventually my goal, winning a championship here, is not on the map, then you've got to make the right decision to win the championship, right? But if me and the front office and the people in the organization are on the same page, we can bring the party to Milwaukee. And I think all of that should really be music to Buxan's ears because... If ultimately the books fail Yanis in a way that is catastrophic and they can't deliver what he deserves and he moves on, I don't know who can blame them. Can blame him at that point. All blame will fall to books' feet. But in terms of his own stated intentions that he wants to stay in Milwaukee longer term, that very much seems to be the case. So as he begins his big contract, playing completely out of his mind, bringing a level of basketball to Milwaukee that probably hasn't been seen since, I mean, at least the 80s, no, I'm probably being unfair. Michael Red had the great stretch to start the season too, but I just feel like this is different with his it's, age, yeah, with his age, with his potential. This is different. This is different to anything that came in 2001. And books fans know that. But with all of that in mind, there is still every reason to believe this isn't just going to be a flash in the pan. There's going to be many years of this to enjoy for books fans. Let's move it on from Giannis to someone on the complete opposite end of the roster. If Giannis is number one on the roster, Number 15 is DeAndre Liggins. We spent so much of this summer, so much of the last kind of six weeks anyway, probably devoted to who'll be the 15th guy on the roster. We walked all the way through training camp, breaking down every detail of, you know, will it be Gerald Green? Will it be Brandon Rush? Has Gary Payton too done enough? The answer in all reality was none of them had done enough. They all got waived. And a player who I did mention as a possibility last week, not to toot my own air horn, DeAndre Liggins signed for the books. <laughs> Non-guaranteed deal with the 15 roster spot. How do you feel about the acquisition? I've been vocal with this on Twitter. I think it's great. A lot of people are very unexcited and were, were at least underwhelmed by this. But to me, he makes perfect sense as a player the books needed for some extra kind of defensive grit, some extra versatility with his length. Just a good rotation piece. What's your feeling on DeAndre Liggins? As we have talked about 
uh, over the last three weeks. Uh, the preseason or last roster spot battle in the preseason. I'm losing words conjunction. It is. It was pretty underwhelming. It was. It was a different wrinkle that we all felt like, hey, this could cut, you know spice it up a little bit. And as the team's play in preseason was, so was that battle. So as we speculated, seeing what could be, and as you predicted, or not predicted, but you threw out there, Deandre Liggins, I, th- I thought was fine. Thought it, you know for a fifteenth guy, I think the the difference is that people want the kind of breakdown defenses, the kind of the idealized version of Gerald Green who can score shots at will, three pointers, all you know, etc. But as we saw last night, I mean, I thought he did really well. Again, I I wrote in our takeaways at behind the book pass. Uh, probably the the uh, greatest impact you can have on a game without even scoring a single point. Uh, just fantastic defensively, sticking on CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard's hip whenever he's matched on him, picking them up after they inbound the ball on one end of the floor to the other. I mean, just that kind of relentless uh, shadow, basically, just shadowing them wherever they they went. And it, you know, they combined for 52 points. They're great players. Let let's not get that wrong at all. But Lee's did his best, especially. You know, he got fourth quarter minutes. He played five minutes during a crucial stretch uh, of the game. And when the Bucks were kind of at what looked to be uh, them kind of breaking away until Portland stormed back. So in that sense, I thought he had a pretty fine debut just defensively. The biggest question, of course, is what can he contribute on the offensive end? Mainly, can he hit, you know, knock down three-pointers when the ball is you know passed to him in the corner or whatever? That's a big question. But other than that, he is as advertised in that regard, and it really showed last night. I just think the key with him is to make sure he doesn't have to do anything offensive, and then when he does, it's the bonus. So you make sure he's out there in lineups that will provide enough offense. So if he's he's going to be in second unit lineups mostly, have Yanis or Middleton out there with him. Have maybe Greg Monroe as the center. Find other ways that you can have your offense at him on the floor, and he's not completely incapable in that way, but you're not reliant on him. He's someone who can tie any kind of lineup together with an extra defensive body. I think when you look at some of the other options that maybe would have filled that role in the second unit in particular, like you're comparing to Rashad Vaughn, whose offense has been unpredictable enough. Liggins is a much more proven defender, though. He's got a lot of pedigree in that department. And he's just much more street smart is probably the best way of putting it. He's, He's been around. He's played internationally. He's kind of played in the D-League for, for three or four seasons. I think three full seasons he's, he's done at this stage. He's been the NBA. He was a, a value player with the Cavs last season when he was there. A lot of people were surprised when he was ultimately cut, but he was really valued by his teammates. LeBron in particular spoke very highly of him. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch him kind of come in. The kind of situations when Kid turns to him are just how big of a role he can eventually take on in the rotation before we move on from him i guess the best way to do it is let's hear deandre liggins describe himself this was after the game against the trailblazers asked whether it was a tough challenge to come in face off against damian lillard cj mccollum in his debut this is what liggins had to say i mean the night you get activated lillard and mccollum but like the tough the test couldn't be any tougher for you and you fine the whole night what was it what did it mean to you to step up in that situation I mean, i'm a tough guy so i don't really i am just do what i do so it don't matter what i do you can't really script it or yeah. teach so you know, i just bring a toughness uh, try to irritate him a little bit and i kind of slowed him down and um gave the team a lift okay so he is a tough guy we know that much we've already seen some evidence of that in just his first game for the books 
And with a name like DeAndre Liggins, and such a tough demeanor, there's only one possible name that I think we could give him. And Jordan and I have discussed this. We've already put it out there in the world, but I think it's worth, worth sharing even further. From this day forth, DeAndre Liggins will be known as Big Rig. Big Rig. Big Rig is the only way that really makes sense to describe DeAndre Liggins. So everyone get on board. The Big Rig. Is to your own hair air horn. I almost said hair horn. I don't know what that is. I don't. That sounds like something completely different. So <laughs> let's not go into that one. Let's move it on to just some more general talk. What are kind of the standout impressions for you? If I was to go to you with your most kind of, uh, obviously Yanis is out of this conversation because that goes without yeah. saying. Other than that, what sort of positive impression has stood out for you from the first three games? Uh, Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I was a little cautious with him entering this year, especially after winning Rookie of the Year. Surprising everybody. Basically, I mean, it started with him starting as a point guard. I mean, that the first came as a surprise in summer league and preseason and all that. But uh, for first three games, I mean, there's just another... It's not that I didn't... Ex- I, mean, I, I didn't expect that, if I had to be honest. I didn't expect some of the wrinkles that he's already showing. Uh, just a better ball handler, showing a little more shake, going in through the paint, hitting shots off the dribble, hitting three-pointers off the dribble, more importantly. Stuff like that, I you know, there is a still a, – it's not a fully formed thing, but it's there. Um, and that's all that's really comforting to see in his play. And I would say he's the second-best player – uh, so far in terms of just, you know, probably output, general output, but just there's just a little more flair to his game where he, you know, obviously just as as we joke about all the time, he's savvy. Uh, but there's just something else, another dimension could be added to his game that has been really, really positive to see uh, uh, three games in. Yeah, it's kind of, it's more like, as you'd expect with him, they're, they're all very subtle adjustments, but they could be big adjustments. He hasn't completely transformed the way that he's going to approach the game or the way that he looks or the way that he moves on the court. He has lost some weight. He spoke a lot about that over the summer, about his conditioning, and he, he probably is a little bit faster. I mean, some of the some of the plays and some of the things he's been able to do only come about when you have just that little bit extra speed. Give yourself that little bit more space, whether that's around the perimeter or at the rim. And he's done a really solid job of that so far. The shooting off the dribble is the big thing, though particularly for a point guard. I mean, that's that's something that is kind of a staple of the best modern NBA point guards now. And yeah. I can't think of, not in recent years, have the books had many players who can do that, even at other positions on the floor. They are not a they are not an off-the-dribble, pull-up kind of shooting team. But there has been something with the way Brockton has done that in the first three games, behind the, the line and kind of from mid-range, that it just looks so comfortable. There's no, there's no real discernible difference between Malcolm Brogdon set and Malcolm Brogdon shooting off the dribble and that is really really exciting if he can continue shooting over 40% from three I probably would have thought you know maybe that's asking a bit too much maybe high 30s like 38% would have been best case if he could stay over 40 with much more attempts kind of a greater variety of them that's a really big deal and it's going to be so important for the books particularly as we're talking about Yanis is going to do what he's going to do Who's going to step up and help him? Right now, Malcolm Brogdon is looking like one of the more reliable players who could do so. For me, I think the biggest positive, and it's by no means kind of something perfect, but the defense has looked much improved. There have been holes. I mean, 
Laird and McCollum did finish with, wasn't it, 26 points each? Yep, 52 combined. I mean, that's not great, but also for those two players, keeping both of them below 30 is also an achievement. Normally, more often than not, one of those guys at least will kind of go off and have more and kind of push the Blazers on to a slightly different level. But hey, look, that's not great. But at the end of the day, they did what they had to do to keep them there and to win the game. The Celtics, the defense was really good, particularly the last six yep. or seven minutes. The Cavs, the defense was really good for two and a half quarters. And then it all fell apart. And I think that's something that should be overlooked. First two and a half quarters, the Bucks defense was there. And I think they were giving up points inside more so than they generally would have. That's a little alarming. But at the same time, you can't just say it's bad defense, giving up points inside. It was Kevin Love and LeBron James who were scoring those points inside. It wasn't just any old random guys. Like there, there were two players who you could legitimately say, well, if they're at their best, they're very difficult, almost impossible to stop from those positions. And it was our old nemesis, three-point defense, that failed the Bucks in that game, but it failed them with LeBron James on the ball and Kyle Korver as the man running off ball to shoot the trees. And there were kind of little, you know, Jason Terry was the guy assigned to him. That's not ideal. There were little kind of things we could point to there and say, maybe the rotation, the guys on the floor at that time, that was the problem. I just think overall the energy, the switching has looked much tighter. Even guys like Mirza Toledovic, who the Bucks defense doesn't fit very naturally, he's just not as out of position as it seems like he would have been last year. He's finding himself in spots where he's at least positionally solid and he can allow his teammates to come and help if someone's going to burn him off the dribble. Things like that are important. Very early on, this is the smallest of small sample sizes, but considering just how bad the defense was early parts of last season, definitely first half of last season, it's very, very reassuring just to see some signs of improvement, particularly with the offense is humming. I mean, there aren't really major issues with the offense at the moment, so that's that's kind of a big deal. On the negative side of things, I think we're in on the same one here. For me, it's something that isn't exactly a problem at the moment, but it's something I feel is almost guaranteed to manifest itself as an issue at some point in the not-so-distant future. I am, of course, talking about the tree-center rotation. Following the game against the Celtics, foul trouble in that game had kind of forced Jason Kidd into giving all three of his centers minutes. At the same time, after that game in the post-game press conference, he admitted it was his plan to play all three centers because John Henson had looked so good in preseason, he'd had a really great camp, and he said he couldn't punish him by not playing him, considering he was coming through and delivering. That is interesting in itself, considering how many years Bucks fans have been waiting for John Henson to happen, seeing signs of promise and then getting burned. But to be fair to him, he's carried that through, and he's probably their best center through three games. It's not even close, really. Um, I, I should take the probably out of that equation. Still, all three centers give the Bucks a certain thing, or fill a certain role. And... None of them necessarily, maybe Tons the exception, but are the kind of center you would want to have if you're going to go three deep at center in today's NBA. It's tough to give all three of those guys the minutes they're going to need every night without leaving yourself exposed to another team being inventive. Not even all that inventive, but just throwing you something different. Going small could really cause... The book's problems if they're that rigid with a three-man big rotation. Are you 
approaching this with a little bit of trepidation as well? Does it seem inevitable that eventually this could come back to hurt the books? Yeah, I mean, one once we think uh, this three center, the center rotation is you know down, uh, it, it all of a sudden unspools and just kind of we're back where we started. Uh, John Henson is leading uh, all centers uh, on the depth chart with most minutes played just by one over Thon. But uh, I mean, he's been the center that has gotten crunch time minutes in both the Celtics and Blazers game as a. Uh, Frick Bannon talked about on recent Lockdown Bucks uh, podcast. And look, I mean, we're quick to anoint Thon, the kind of, you know, a breakout campaign as he, as he found his footing, but I'm still a little trepidatious. Uh, I think we kind of have to hold our horses with him a little bit. It's kind of case-by-case basis with him still for me. Uh, Moose is often another slow start as he was last year. Uh, only played like, what, seven minutes, and that's kind of rounding up last, from last night's game. Uh, Henson has looked decent uh had trouble with use of Nurkic uh in particular last night but then kind of bounced back and I, he deserved to be on the floor during you know the crunch time situation i, I don't know I, it's it's this carousel of, of wonderment and bewilderment uh that just keeps happening on and on and on so i don't know we'll we'll see when it gets resolved if it ever gets resolved but it's at least I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see ideal. how it develops. It's not ideal. Not I think you would like to have a clear picture and have these issues resolved heading into the year. I guess the one thing I'd say with it is like Moose struggled a little by Greg Monroe's recent standards. Not a little. He struggled a lot against the Portland Trailblazers. Was benched. Yeah. Didn't see a whole lot of the rest of the game. That to me immediately gave me a flashback because it was early last season when he struggled, found himself out of the rotation completely. Logged the DNP or two, if I remember correctly. He logged and, one DNP, but only played like ten minutes over two games, like the following. Right. It was it was a strange spell that kind of brought that flash to me, and I just immediately felt, let's not do that again. Even if he's going to struggle, I just think of the three, Monroe is the one with Henson. Henson and Tan can be kind of interchangeable. If Henson is playing well, he can fill some of what you're going to get from Tan. Obviously without the the floor spacing, which is important, particularly with Giannis. It gives him more space to operate. But Henson can give defensively some of the length and shot blocking that you would look to get from Ton. If anything, he's a much more proven rim protector at this point than Ton Maker is. Moose's offense is important for this team and important for the second unit, though. And I would just be a little bit worried. I think if at any point Kid does decide to go to two guys in his center rotation, which I wouldn't say is impossible that he gets there sooner rather than later, I would just hope that Greg Monroe isn't the guy who finds himself either dramatically reduced or moved out completely. Because I think what he does bring is different to everyone else and something the books can't do without. They might get away with Monroe's bad defense for a longer spell. They won't get away without having that extra offensive punch he brings, though. So for me, that's the biggest concern is ultimately what way they kind of slot Monroe in in terms of his role. I, I, I think it goes beyond just his plates, too. I think it's just how this odyssey that we've under uh, undergone with him uh, since he came to the Bucks. I think it's the mental side of it, too. You know, look at how he learned that he was coming off the bench last year and how kind of shaky things were to begin the season last year. I think there is a more – it feels like if, you know, if this were to continue – um, it feels there's something more behind it. It would feel more of a slight. Uh, it could be taken personal, and obviously it is. I mean, he's he showed last year that he's a proven contributor to this team, and 
is very important to this team. And if that gets taken away from him and he doesn't agree with that, that issues like that can be, you know, uh, trickle over time. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Even this time next week, we may have a much better idea on that one. Okay, so new season and all that. I thought it's time that we do something we haven't done for a little while. I thought it's time that we have a new segment. We need something that you can all kind of be looking out for week to week when you're watching books, games, night to night. Something your eyes are peeled for. Something you can look forward to, even on the darkest nights. Even on the games where the books don't quite show up. Long-time listeners will remember the Miles Plumley points to fail ratio that once graced this podcast. We would track just how many points Miles Plumley would have. And you might have guessed it from the name, but we would then compare them to just how many fouls he had. Work out a ratio. That was our segment. This year, we've got something a little different for you. We're both professionals. You know that I can force this information out of you, but I'm running out of time. Those of you who follow us on Twitter at Behind the Books, those of you who follow Jordan Tresky at Jordan Tresky will be more than familiar with this. But on the Win and Six podcast in 2017-18, we are going to be tracking Jack Bowers. Welcome to Jack Bauer Counter. <laughs> for those of you who haven't followed those things before, or for the many of you who have seen those jokes, they've, you've seen the 24 GIFs all the time. You're confused. And you've no idea why Jordan tweets them, why the side account retweets them. 24 people, think about it. These are 24-second violations forced by the books. Whenever the books force a 24-second violation, Jordan tweets out Jack Bauer. This is our Jack Bauer counter, and after week one, Jordan, how many Jack Bowers have we had? Drum roll, please. Four. Four Jack Bowers. That did include a three Jack Bauer game. We got that on opening night. That's a, a rapid pace. Um, I'm just discovering. I don't know why. Uh, this is basically my version of the starters wedgies. Uh, it is a, <laughs> a, a uh, I guess, a uh, homage to them. And, uh, in, you know, it's very uh, not essential to basketball games. But didn't the, didn't the starters last year, they had the hashtag, wasn't it? Was it We Are Wedgie? We Are Wedgie. They hit 50 on the dot. Their first time ever doing that since tracking uh, wedgies. Okay, so our hashtag, you can tweet at us at Behind the Books or at Win and Six Podcast. And our hashtag is hashtag We Are Jack Bauer. Jack. Oh. Where, you know, surname is equally important. We Are Jack Bauer. Can you set a target for the season? Is there a target we're aiming for? Oh, man. Well, I guess we could keep it in the 24 vein, but I feel like we surpassed that pretty easily. I'd be looking I guess for 100. 100? Oh, man. That's a lot. I think we need, more, we need to average more than one a game. Basically, the opponent has to do it. If the Bucks do it, we don't count that. It's the oh, yeah. Opponent. The Bucks have to force it is the, the probably the best way. Force it. And obviously, as we've learned about their defense, they pride themselves on trying to outlast their opponent on the defensive end and Force bad shots late into the clock or not at all. I guess let's go 50. Let's do benchmark 50. I want 100, so we'll see who gets their wish. <laughs> I want 100 Jack Bowers. 
Make sure to watch out for your Jack Bowers this week and check back in with us next week for your Jack Bauer update. This how about this? How about this? Not associated with 24 in any way. <laughs> no, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> 24 times 3 equals 72. That's our benchmark, 72. Okay, Jordan's, Jordan's got a little bit more optimistic. Before we finish up and leave you for a few days, leave you for seven days if you're listening to us on Dash Radio, Let's look to the week ahead and let's make our predictions. On Monday night, 7 p.m. Central start, the Bucks continue their season-long homestand. The Charlotte Hornets are the visitors. Jordan Tresky, what is your prediction? MKG and Cody Zeller are not playing this game. Uh, one Bucks by 16. I'm going to go Bucks by 12. 16 is maybe just a little bit too much, but I do think that they will win this comfortably. I think the matchup is pretty good for them. Of course, there is always a chance that Kemba Walker could have a colossal game. It sounds crazy. Maybe Dwight Howard will cause problems for the Bucks tree center rotation if they just keep switching guys and don't settle on someone. But Kemba Walker is the biggest worry. Still, Bucks by 12. Thursday. A couple of days off for the Bucks. First time this season, really. And then... They will return to action. 7 p.m. Central start. Boston Celtics, again the opponent. But most importantly of all, they will be back at the Mecca. The UW-Milwaukee Panther Arena will be playing on a replica of the old Mecca court. It will be the first time this season that we'll get to see the throwback hardwood classic-style jerseys. What is your prediction? I'm all in on playing the Celtics. I'm going to say they have a season sweep. Bucks by 11. I don't know. Oh, I don't know if I'll go quite by 11. I do, I do think the Celtics are still obviously having a lot to work through. Their season has not gone as they planned to begin with, with the Hayward injury, and there's not going to be a quick adjustment to that. I think the whole energy in the arena that night should be something completely incredible. Smaller arena. It won't be like an NBA feel. It should be pretty claustrophobic in a lot of ways. And I just can't imagine the books on that court wearing those uniforms, doing anything other than eking out a win. I think it'll be a close one, though. I think we'll get some drama. I'm going to go books by five. TNT knows drama. It's on TNT. There you go. National TV books. TNT books is a rare beast. It's dynamite. To finish off the week, books will have another couple of days off, and then they will finally get back out on the road. Early start. 2.30 p.m. Central, the Atlanta Hawks at Phillips Arena. This is on Sunday. What is your prediction, Jordan? Hawks kind of frighten me. They're kind of in that, you know, bottom away from deep. I think this could be a letdown game. I'm going to go Bucks by four, though. I'm going to go Bucks by nine. I, I know what you're saying about the Hawks as well, but I just think... Right now, until we're proven otherwise, and I'm sure we will be, the way Giannis is playing, it's hard to not see the Bucks beating the teams they should be consistently this season. It's been their biggest problem traditionally in recent years, but if he keeps playing as he has been, they may finally get past that, and it is if they get past that that all sorts of new possibilities will open up for what kind of season they can have, what kind of record they can put together. To be honest, it'll be pretty exciting. All they have to do is follow through with those kind of games. So, in conclusion, we've both picked 3-0 for the books this week. I should 
point out i didn't read through the leaderboard we'll do that next week we want to let that settle a little bit it's like checking the standings for the nba too early i do believe you're a perfect three and oh though jordan which i mean the world is ending if jordan is three and oh the world is ending <laughs> also of note i believe dennis schroeder left today's game as a recording against the nets possible non-contact injury we'll see about that if that lingers all right that is it for us for this week if you're listening to us on Dash Radio, on the Nothing But Net channel, we will be back again next Monday, 7 p.m. Central. You can hear from us then. If you're listening via podcast, or indeed if you're on Dash Radio and you want more Winning Six, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and add us on Stitcher. We'll be back on Friday for our first mailbag slash herd episode in the new format. And you can send your questions to us on Twitter. Watch out for them on Thursday afternoon, I'd say, is probably around the time we'll be looking for them. Send your questions our way, and we will answer them on the podcast. In the meantime, you can check out mine and Jordan's books writing at BehindTheBookPass.com. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.